Welcome back to Bits of a Tangent. Gianluca here. It's been a little while, folks, but as I've been teasing on Twitter and Instagram, there are a bunch of new episodes in the works, and I'm so glad to be back to bring you the first of those, my conversation with the incredible Cat Woods. Jared and I would love to fill you in on the exciting things we've been working on here in London, but instead of going into that now, I want to jump right into this episode. Cat Woods is an effective altruist and the co-founder of Nonlinear, which incubates long-termist nonprofits by connecting founders with ideas, funding, and mentorship. Before that, she co-founded Charity Entrepreneurship, an open, full-funded, near-termist charity incubator, which has launched 18 charities so far, including Fortify Health, Fish Welfare Initiative, Family Empowerment Media, and Training for Good. Kat also co-founded Charity Science Health, now Savita, which helped increase the vaccination rates of over 200,000 children in India. A couple weeks ago, Kat was in the UK, so I traveled to Oxford to record a conversation with her. Now, effective altruism, or EA as we refer to it throughout the episode, has been in the news a lot lately and is a hot topic on Twitter. Uh, for those who haven't come across it, effective altruism is a philosophy and community that is focused on maximizing the good you can do through your career, projects, and donations. It has seen such tremendous growth in membership and funding over the past few years and is having a dramatic impact on the world. I'll pop some helpful links in the show notes and I encourage you all to check it out. One reason I wanted to meet with Kat was because of all the work she has done in EA and the future initiatives she's working on with Nonlinear. I think it's really important to hear from people actively working on reducing suffering and promoting flourishing in the world, especially ones as optimistic and inspiring as Kat. She's also a high-performing operator, automation wizard, and digital nomad. So essentially the Tim Ferriss of EA, but with way better hair. In this episode, we discuss how Kat came to be empathetic and discover EA whilst also having goals and agency, brain hacks for curing imposter syndrome, boosting confidence and being more agentic, how to save the world and be happy at the same time, why you don't need permission to do things, info hazards, the simulation argument as a powerful motivator, the idea of passive impact via automation, and the projects that Kat is currently working on, which include the nonlinear library, EA houses, the nonlinear support fund, as well as the bounty program and an EA idea market. I really loved meeting face-to-face -face and exploring all these ideas with her. I can't wait for you all to hear this. So with no further ado, here's the episode of Bit of a Tangent. that is particularly interesting about you for me is how you seem to have this strong element of empathy and caring and that whole EA side and, and it comes through not just in the global sense but like the more personal sense but then you also are very agentic and functional and like quite utilitarian and you get shit done in the world and how you reconcile those and the interesting interfaces between them and like the tools that have come out of that and I'm particularly interested to chat with you about uh, with nonlinear and with the work you've done before that you're obviously very much involved in actually taking those feelings and intuitions and bringing them to life in the world. Um, so yeah, I'm curious how, like, when did you realize that you felt things very strongly and had very high levels of, 
of empathy and compassion and when did you figure out how to use that in a productive way? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I feel like um, I definitely, I actually wasn't very empathetic until about the age of 12. Okay. I feel like before then, um, I was like, I don't know, I feel like almost like sociopathic. I wasn't sociopathic. I was just a child. But, but, yeah. <laughs> but you feel that way, yeah. Yeah, like, but as a child, like, I feel like children are generally actually kind of a little sociopathic, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was really like around the age of 12, and I've, I've looked into this and apparently this is actually when your like prefrontal cortex starts like really developing. And that was actually when I basically developed empathy. All of a sudden yeah. I really started caring about other people and being able to like see how they were feeling. Um, and it also at the same time is when I started becoming obsessed with like planning, um, which is another part of like the PFC or prefrontal cortex. It's yeah. like this like planning thing. And like exactly. I just became obsessed with the to-do lists. I read um, the seven habits of highly effective preteens or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, I did not know that existed, yeah. <laughs> but of course it does. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, yeah, I should actually have goals. And then like, I just started having goals for everything. I would have goals for, um, I, I, was, I was not very good at having fun in a certain sense. It was fun for me, but um, I would like tell my friends, I'm like, we're at like this, uh, like at the ocean and there's yeah. like a dock. And I'm like, let's have the goal of jumping off the dock a hundred times. And they're like, no. <laughs> and so I just did it and checked it off each time. Yeah. And uh, so I became obsessed with having goals and I became obsessed with helping people. And um, uh, my first like proper cause area was um, I had read a uh, I just pulled this book off the bookshelf on my mom's bookshelf and it was um, it's a book about farming and I thought it was about gonna be like old McDonald had a farm kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> and it was about factory farming and uh, by the end of the first chapter I was a vegetarian wow. by the end of the book I was a very annoying vegetarian <laughs> I would just go in I had no idea what was going on like I just I really thought that um, people just didn't know and that I came yeah. in the next day to school and I was thinking oh I just have to tell everybody and then right. everybody will become vegetarian because they just don't know yeah um as you can imagine that did not go how I thought it was going to um and uh this is actually like a really important wake-up call for me I actually think it's really important for somebody to have like I, I think that part of the the I'm a much more understanding person given my level of like moral emotions like I tend to right. get really upset about things like I, I was really upset for a while at humanity like at every lunchtime when people had like a salami sandwich I would just cry for at least like five minutes right. and not don't have very many friends left from that period of time um, <laughs> <laughs> that would polarize them pretty quickly yeah yeah, yeah. and um and uh, like, but I, I, I had to go through this period of actually like being around people who I completely morally disagreed with. Yeah. And I had to learn how to still have friends. And still function. And still yeah. function. And that was actually really important. So nowadays, like when everybody's being so polarized in the, the universe or whatever, like I'm just like a lot more like, oh, I can understand where you're coming from. If, if this is the first time you've had like a big moral emotion and you yeah. disagree with people, like it's, it can be really hard to not be really angry and to like, you know, push everybody away. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important to just like get that. So, so yeah, so that was like one of my first cause areas. My actual first cause area was spiders. Um, <laughs> spiders? Spiders. Yeah. yeah, because that was extreme suffering. Right, like I, I would see people yeah. go and murder them for no reason. They were like, they're just being murdered because they were ugly. Yeah, because people were afraid of, of just the way they looked and felt and generally behaved. Exactly, and I'm from Canada. There's like pretty much no poisonous spiders in Canada. Right. Like there's the black widow, but that's like really easily identifiable. You never see them. Exactly. So I would just go and save them and everything. And I've always been like much more compelled by like extreme suffering than like just regular suffering. I'm actually okay. terrible at like helping people like do the dishes or something. This is something I have to like right. okay. force myself to do. Okay. Um, and I'm like, I know this is rational. This is the right thing to do. But like extreme suffering is like, oh man, like I can't not act. Um, and uh, so yeah, so it was animal rights. Then I read a book when I was 14 about climate, uh, climate change. And that was 
Like again, like I immediately was like, oh, I care. I have to do something. And so I just like gave up paper towel and flying and wow. <laughs> different degrees of impact yeah. there. But, um, and, uh, and then people said, oh, Kat, if you care about these things, you're going to care about global poverty. And I was like, la, 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 la. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear it because if I hear about it, I'm going to care. And you then care. have to do something. Exactly. Wow. So I just kind of ignored it for a while and I tried to like just not learn about anything new in the world. Yeah. I'd already given up bacon. I'd already given up paper towel. What more did people want from me? <laughs> and, then, um, and then around the age of 20, I ended up accidentally watching a documentary about global poverty. And I cared. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it would happen. It was yeah. just a matter of time. <laughs> and I knew I had to do something. And then that was actually like, I basically independently thought of the drowning child argument because I saw in that moment that me avoiding thinking about it right. was the same. Like I could have been doing something to help all that time and I hadn't. And I felt that deeply. I just felt this guilt of like, wow, I could have been doing something I didn't. And, um, and then I realized I should just spend the next while trying to understand. I, I realized I had a moral obligation to understand all of the problems in the world and look at them mm. and then try and figure out what was the best thing to do. So I spent about a year... Um, all my spare time was spent learning about all the problems in the world right. so I could figure out how best to help. Um, I was not very fun to be around during that year. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a brutal undertaking, I think. Yeah, Yeah. no, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Every single little thing reminded me of all the things that were wrong with the world. Um, and then, and I, at the time, I was still focused on this like, idea of I have to reduce the amount of suffering I cause. I can't cause any harm. Like My, my, my main thing was do no harm. Yeah. And then I met... Um, uh, Joey, who ended up being my husband and co-founder for a bunch of uh, things, now he's my ex-husband, and he, um, he said to me, he's like, hey, um, instead of doing no harm, have you considered just reducing harm in the world? Right. And the moment he said it, I was like, oh yeah, this makes 100% sense. So that was, that was the click. That was the moment when it, it went from altruism to like effective altruism, where it became about not just your, your own harm limitation, but about just minimize harm in general. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then he also came, and he came from a, uh, this is all before EA, or at least we'd heard about it. I think it had j maybe just started existing. Yeah, this is like 2011. Yeah, a little noise about it, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and then uh, he, he also was like, oh, hey, have you considered applying science to altruism? Again, the moment I heard it, like there, some people take a while to be convinced. Yeah. And I was like, oh, duh. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, that makes so much sense. And he had originally heard this from Givewell, I think is kind of where yeah. like the idea had come from. And then, um, and so then we actually were trying to build a movement called the Scientific World Changers. Um, <laughs> so so when, we, when we discovered EA, yeah. it was just like, oh, it yeah. already exists. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to do this. Precisely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was, uh, I mean, I definitely had a similar experience as well um, in, in my undergraduate kind of years when I started just looking at, because I came from this computer science background, but I also had some genetics thrown in there. And so I would, you know, be exposed to like these biological problems, you know, and, and disease and death and all forms of suffering there that you could fix. Um, but the way we treat them in hospitals is individual cases, mm -hmm. you know, whereas I had this CS approach of why don't we just scale up the things that we yeah. know can work. And, and so I'd always had this intuition. And so the first time I came across EA and was just like, oh, we, we're going to use spreadsheets to make our altruism more effective. And I was like, oh, this, this is a thing. This is a thing. <laughs> Other people actually get it too. And mm -hmm. from then on, it was just immensely compelling. Um, and then that was, yeah. 
the rest is kind of history of this becoming more and more involved in the movement and, and the things about it. So yeah, it seems like you had a very similar experience, but you literally started something, had yeah. a name for it and everything, <laughs> and then ended up uh, realizing that this was perfectly aligned with uh, what EA was doing as a movement. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. No. And EA is just wonderful. Like I still love it. Um, uh, I think it was Rob Miles. I was talking to him. He was. We were both talking to somebody who didn't know EA, and he said, "Oh, I originally came for the cause area. Mm. They stayed for, stayed for the people." And That's really interesting. Yeah, because he's yeah. very big in uh, AI safety. Yeah. Um, and that was always his his direction. And so that's interesting that the community around it. Um, and just like-minded people who care about things, because I think that's a critical component. Yeah, because most um, people just don't care. Like I used to really think, you know, people care, they just don't know. And mm. and that's true for some people, yeah. but most people, they just don't care. But, yeah. you know, even if they know about it, like they can they can watch Earthlings, they can watch like the worst, hor most horrific factory farming videos ever, and then eat a burger right afterwards. Yeah. And like, it's like, okay. It's an interesting thing. How much of that do you think is like an emotional shielding response mm. versus they actually don't care? It's like a defense mechanism. Because for a lot of people, I think if they, they feel that if they open themselves up to caring about things, then every homeless person who they saw asking for change and every opportunity to eat a meal and everything would just make them so miserable and overwhelmed. Like, do you think that there's just a defense mechanism that kicks in for most people? Well, so I think it's just going to be one of those things where it's always just a percentage of the population is like yeah. that. So there's some percentage is a defense mechanism. There's some percentage where they just don't care. Like yeah. There's a whole spectrum of caring, right? And so some people are sociopaths and they just genuinely don't care. They might not even be capable of caring, mm. right? And that's the extreme end. Um, and then you're going to have like, and a lot of EAs are going to fall in this category of extreme caring. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to have people in the middle and like, yeah. So some people are self-defense, but like, I, I, I empathize, I get that, yeah. but also people should work on that. Like it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like, yeah, you don't want to end up giving away everything, but most, you, most people are not at risk of that. Yeah. Not even yeah. close. It's yeah. just, they, it, there, there is probably still a little bit of that. People just don't know or don't know that there are ways you can do this reliably, like earning to give or, you know, I don't even have time so I can to charities. Oh, well, you can, there's literally people out there who figure out the most <laughs> optimal charities to donate to and you just give them your money um, and that's the problem solved. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of information there still. Um, but yeah, it's probably, yeah, there's a, full, there's a full spectrum of that. And I think there's also a danger with sort of EA types to almost get um, like, consumed by the caring where it can go the other extreme where you become less effective because the caring is, is like ratcheted up so far and you're uh, probably a rare exception of a person where you immediately took on the self-sacrifice you know from very young age you know, in chapter one you just decided you would be vegetarian that's that's very bold and that's i would say very rare in people um, to have that kind of rapid update and then take on a personal sacrifice in that way so do you think it's also there's something in you that makes you prone towards self-sacrifice? Hmm, it's an interesting question. So I think maybe there's some things. So um, so I think, okay, so so one is just the extremeness of my emotional reactions. Okay. So I, I, I like, so I'm a very, like, well, okay, not, not to break, I'm like a, I'm a very deliberate person, yeah. right? Where I, I tend to really, like, um, one of my, like, foundational things is, like, Cat does things for reasons. Yes. Like I don't just do it randomly. Most people are bumbling around. I'm very deliberate. Um, but by the same token, I also have very, very strong emotional reactions to things, especially um, uh, moral things. Right. Like if I if I see extreme suffering, like I I feel it in such a way that I can't possibly not act. It would be crazy not to. It would be like imagine you saw your own sibling or your own mom drowning. 
Like, of course you're going to help. You, like, it doesn't even occur to you that you could not. Right. And so, like, I just have that for everybody, as okay. far as I can tell. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's, and, and it's interesting because, like, I actually have it less for my family than most people, but I have it more for the world in general. That's really interesting. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, yeah, so like it's one of those things where so I think it's like it's the emotional reaction that's very strong mm. um, combined with um, I have very strong self-efficacy in the sense of like I feel like I can do most things that I want to do. And so it, I think for some people they might have the strong emotional reaction, but they're like, what can I do? And and then I have the strong emotional reaction. I'm like, oh, what can I do? What are the things I can do? <laughs> it's literally just the intonation yeah. that makes the whole difference. Yeah. yeah. And then you actually go and do those things more importantly. Yeah. Because I think there are a lot of people that are in that intermediate ground of like okay i see this terrible thing and i feel horrible about it and mm -hmm. this, these things that one might do about them and they can generate those ideas but then it doesn't really go any further just like most startup ideas just you know die in the idea stage yeah and then you've had multiple successes with going and doing that and actually bringing about change in the real world in a very tangible and measurable and undeniable way and I'm, I'm really curious there and I think a lot of people are going to be interested in that perspective like how did you go from okay I want to do something there are things I can do to actually doing the things yeah this is actually a question that I have for other people I don't under like so I've been trying to understand it myself of like yeah. what makes me different because it doesn't feel like it's special but I do notice that like other people aren't doing it right. and so yeah. I'm like okay um and that's one of those things where like that's actually a sign like um when you're good at something it doesn't feel like you're good at it it because feels like everyone else is terrible exactly <laughs> yeah and you're like why are they terrible at this yeah. i don't understand just do it yeah. um and honestly i do feel like there is a little bit of that i think like most people are kind of waiting for permission they're waiting for a structure that lets them do that and okay. you don't need permission in fact when we first when i started my first charity yeah. um eighty thousand hours posted a post saying that we shouldn't start it and why it was bad wow <laughs> um and uh but then um, Ali Hasenfeld, one of the co-founders of uh, GiveWell, um, saw it and left a comment saying, hey, I'm really excited about this. You guys should go move forward. Uh, That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, we did it anyways. We weren't like, oh, somebody thinks we shouldn't do it. It's like, yeah, there's always going to be some people. In fact, especially in EA. Yeah. You guys can't agree on anything. Yeah. Like, one of the things that makes me feel better whenever I get a criticism online is I'm like, Holden gets criticized. Yeah. Constantly. And he's like the best person. Like, and super thoughtful, goes into uh, every detail about things. And yeah, so they, I mean, part of that is probably a, um, like a pro. It's, it's, it's not that it's a, a, it's a bug, it's a feature because that level of critical thinking and challenging ideas is what helps you move towards the truth. And I think EAs are very, the vast majority are people who think truth seeking is, is incredibly important as like a, yeah, like an intrinsic value. Exactly. As well as having high empathy. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, if you get sufficiently large or public, you will always have criticism, no matter yeah. what you do. Try and think of like, I don't know, like even just like all the people we think of as heroes. Like Gandhi was so hated, he got assassinated. <laughs> right. Same with Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. And pretty much every single moral hero ever. Almost none of them die natural deaths. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that doesn't point. happen with me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you maybe need to yeah. up your security as things, yeah. as things scale up. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, and so, but in terms of getting things done and actually just doing things, um, so this is actually an interesting, I've been trying to break down like what it means to be like agentic. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's kind of, I feel like there's two underlying um, features of it. So one is seeing that there's many, many options. So I think like right. most people only see the options that are put in front of them. 
right? Yeah. They're like, oh, there are jobs. These are slots that you can be put into, right? But there's so many other things you can do that are not jobs, yeah. right? Um, so uh, like seeing that there are many options. And then the other thing is, yeah, like the self-efficacy, the thinking that I can do this and actually like doing it, right? Um, and for self-efficacy, I think you can just, I think you can deliberately build that up. It's just basically building up confidence. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of things you can do there. I mean, there's tons of books. Um, uh, what, was, what were some books that I found really useful? I think there was, um, uh, it's like six pillars of self-esteem or something. Okay. But then there's also, um, uh, I recently, so I actually had imposter syndrome up until about five months ago. Wow. Um, and uh, I got rid of it finally. Woohoo! Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a big thing. <laughs> yeah. And I had tried everything. I tried meditating. I tried um, uh, CBT, ACT, IFS, all the, all the acronyms. Everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reason. That definitely didn't work. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. And so, but basically what I figured out is it's, um, I did a combination of, so I did loving kindness meditation, but towards myself. Okay. Um, and so loving kindness meditation, for those who aren't familiar with it, um, or at least this is one iteration of it, which is that you uh, think of somebody who it's really easy to feel loving kindness towards. You generate that feeling. Then you think of somebody who you, it's slightly less easy to feel mm. loving kindness towards, but you maintain that same level of emotion towards right. that person. And if you lose that emotion and it starts getting less, then you just go back to the easy person, okay. reestablish it, and then go back down. Yeah. And then you go... Then you think of somebody slightly less and slightly less, and then you get to neutral people, and then you get to negative people, and then you get to like the hardest people, and it's like Hitler or yourself, yeah. whichever is harder for you. <laughs> Which is yeah, quite a quite a contrast there. Yeah. To, but but I think that's true for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, certainly for myself, I think I'm my own like harshest critic. I mean, I hold myself to ridiculous standards and. I'm so forgiving of other people yeah, and, and that's always like a difficult thing to reconcile. So I had a, a similar experience with the, I, like I think it's like meta, the loving kindness meditation. Yeah. Um, and, and I would, um, the, the breakthrough for me then was imagining myself as a child mm. because it's so easy to feel compassion towards, towards that child who's essentially innocent and they make mistakes and you just forgive them and it does not yeah. harm. And then to slowly kind of scale that up into a teenager and then into a young adult and then into who I am now. So it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting technique. And so that, that for you was, was what yeah. made, the, made the huge difference in the last five months? Yeah, so it was, it was that. And I did an hour a day for a week of self-love meditation, okay. essentially. Um, and funnily enough, I actually also iterated into like thinking of myself as younger, except like yeah. I went all the way back to a baby. And oh, like wow. I still couldn't yeah. love myself as a baby. I was like, I was a chunky baby. <laughs> <laughs> Can't love chunky babies, obviously. No, they're actually the cuter ones. I don't yeah. know why I have that feeling. The cherubs. That's yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, it's fine as long as it's other babies, not me, obviously. Right. Um, but uh, finally, what it was able for me to get through was to think of my uh, myself as my mom holding me as a baby. Interesting. And I was like, well, my mom definitely loved me. Right. You know? And that was how I was able to kind of like get in. Um, so I started doing that, self-love. Um, and then also, um, so the interesting thing about loving kindness meditation is uh, my insight was that you can just cross-apply this to any emotion. Mm. Like the same general technique can work yeah. for any emotion you want. This idea of transferring it over from one case to another, but maintaining the intensity and... Exactly, Same exactly. Thing. And so I call that like generally like emotion practice. Okay. And then um, for uh, imposter syndrome, what I did is I cross applied it to like I call it confidence practice. Right. And so what you do is you imagine, and so like you can kind of break down confidence into a bunch of different subcomponents. Okay. But for me, like the big things were um, like there's an element of loving kindness, right? right. Um, uh, there's an element of believing in yourself. Um, and then there's an element of uh, believing in yourself even if you make mistakes. Um, and so those were like the three main things for me. And then what I did is I would imagine, so if you could imagine something that you feel those things for towards yourself already, um, if you have those. For me, what worked best is I thought of, um, so I thought of my sister 
And like, I really believe in her. Even if she makes mistakes, I'm not like, well, fuck you, I hate you now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously loving kindness, lots there. Um, or uh, the other thing that I did is think of, um, I kind of imagined like being like a Dumbledore talking to Harry Potter, but like I just switched the genders to female just because it, so it, it fit with me. Better. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of like, I'm imagining I'm this old wise woman who is like talking to this 11 year old who I know is like super powerful and gonna do great things. And like, they're still making mistakes, they're 11. Right. You know, like you're not thinking yeah. like, man, you're gonna save everything now. You're, not, you're just gonna survive first year. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so what I'll do is I'll imagine being the old wise woman, talking to this younger one. And at first I imagine feeling like proud of them and like believing in them when they're doing something well. Okay. And then I imagine them messing up in some way and then loving them anyways and thinking still that they're great. And then I cross apply that to all the other areas of my life. So I'm generating this feeling and then, um, and I actually don't like do like the slow level down, like leveling down thing. I just yeah. kind of think of what is my target thing and then try and get there. Um, and yeah, so it'll be like, oh, hey, like, um, it'll be like, oh, hey, I put this post up and then somebody left a comment that made me feel bad, right? And I'll imagine that, but then feel confident. Right. And then feel, still feel loving kindness or whatever. I'll think like, oh, it's like fundraising. Like that's always a thing that's like a bit scarier, right? And then I'll just imagine doing that, but feeling this like love, confidence, like, you know, I believe in you, even right. if you don't mess up this, there's like, I still believe in you kind of thing. Amazing. Yeah, and doing it for my to-do list, that was super good. And uh, so, Do yeah, you feel to-do list? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I would look at my, like what I had to do that day. Yeah. And then feel like I believe in myself, I can do this. Oh, I see. I Even see. if okay. I mess up, because like a lot of times, like they'll have like anxiety about one of them. I'll be like, ah, oh yeah. no, what if I mess this up? Yeah. And then I'll think, oh, if I do mess it up, I'll still believe in myself and I'll still love myself. And also, I believe in myself. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can handle this. I've handled a lot of stuff like this before. Um, right. Okay. And yeah, so I just did that for like about an hour a day for a couple weeks, and I went from like a three out of ten confidence to a nine out of ten. Which, which is, that's, that's, those are yeah. results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I stopped doing it regularly and it kind of went back to like, now it's stabilized at a six or a, six or a seven out of 10. Um, and so I'm thinking I might like start doing it again more often or something, but still like, Hey, that was like five months ago and I haven't had to maintain it. And that's like another thing I'm always trying to, so I have, um, uh, I should probably mention just for the, the listeners, but, um, uh, so, um, so I have this, like, I try and make everything passive in the sense of passive income, right. where passive income is where you, um, do an initial investment and then with little to no ongoing maintenance, it still brings you in money. So like the classic examples are being a landlord and collecting rents or, um, you know, investing in the stock market in like an index fund or yeah. something. Um, and, uh, this idea of passiveness, you can apply to anything. Um, and so I apply it to impact, but I also apply it to happiness. Like, I don't want to have to, like, so people often say with meditation, they're like, oh, you know, I'm part of like a really standard pitch yeah. is they'll say, oh, if you try and get worldly success or money or whatever, um, you're happy for a bit and then you're unhappy again. Yeah, you the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. Idea. And they say like, oh, that's why you should meditate. But then you still have to meditate every day. And if you stop meditating, it stops working. Right. Okay. You know, even the Dalai Lama still meditates every day. Yeah. I'm not going to get as good as the Dalai Lama. Fuck yeah. that shit. I don't want it. Sorry, exactly. am I allowed to swear on here? You can say whatever you <laughs> Excellent. want. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm trying to look for things that are passive happiness where I can just do it once and it just maintains that for a long time. And that's what I liked about this confidence practice is I feel like I was just able to do do it regularly for a bit. Like an hour a day for two weeks is a lot. Okay, yeah. But, but I don't have to do it anymore. So there was a large upfront uh, amount of work that you did that you then get this this long tail of benefits from as exactly. opposed to having to constantly reinforce it. And if you forget a day, it's like completely fall off the bandwagon. Exactly. That's exactly. really powerful. I mean, you, you, you literally there created a, a new technique of kind of like instrumental rationality uh, just 
by taking something you knew worked in one area and adapting it to another way and personalizing to yourself. That's a, that's a really powerful thing. And almost no one is doing this. Like even amongst sort of seasoned rationalists, I find a lot of people don't have examples of where they've done that. And I, I really struggle to explain to people when I do things like that, <laughs> like to, to make sense of this concept that you can just develop tools that make your own thinking better. Yeah. Um, and that that on the margin is so much more valuable than just being slightly smarter or knowing slightly more um, because the, the, the actual operating system that you're running. I mean, if you're, if you're a nine out of 10 confidence versus a three, that's, that's gonna make such a huge impact, especially when you're doing things that have potentially unbounded upside, like getting funding, yeah. making huge contributions to the world. Like that is, that is invaluable and it costs you, you know, a few hours you know, a week upfront. And yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I really think other people should really try it. Like, and I, I totally agree. And I think that confidence is one of those things where it's like, that's like one of the, I suppose it's like not the only thing, but it's like a huge part of being high agency is yeah. having the confidence to do it. Like, I think yeah. a lot of people will think of it and then just not do it because they're like, oh, who am I to do these things? I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, really developing it because it, it's like, it, it opens up so many opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise ever look at. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you legitimately trained your mind and your, your personality to have different default set points to what what you had before you you exercised emotions yeah. using these tools so that they could get stronger it's like if you were going to run a marathon but you're out of shape you would train first yeah. you, you effectively did that but for your your confidence um which allows you now to be more agentic which is like that is a I, I love that as a as an analogy and as a as a way of approaching it that's that's really really cool yeah and that's actually one of my underlying things so um i used to say that i had a meditation practice okay but then i uh i started calling it actually my happiness workout routine oh and that's a good switch yeah 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 and the reason for that is that meditation is just one of the ways to be happier and like my main thing i i think that part of the reason why meditation works is that you practice it regularly. I think this is actually yeah. like one of the underlying key things. I bet if you did that for tons of other emotional techniques, yeah. it would also make you a happier person. Like when people kind of just start any diet, they generally get into like slightly better shape or lose some fat because it's just sticking to anything at all just makes you more consistent and, and mindful. Yeah, and like a lot of things do work. They just, ha they only work if you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so if you call it a happiness workout, then it also can include things like um, journaling, internal family systems, uh, memory reconsolidation, um, got all sorts of things. CBT, CBT is also one of those things that like works a lot of the time, yeah. right? And you just have to actually practice it, and you don't need to wait for a, a therapist to, to yeah. get you to do these things. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean that's one that's particularly um, the, the people that kind of read less wrong or are adjacent to the EA community will be familiar with this notion that you can learn about all of these cognitive biases and distortions and then just notice yourself doing them. But there are definitely blind spots there and that's where it's helpful to talk to other people who are also aware of what those failings in uh, critical reasoning look like so that they can call you out because it's way easier to spot in others. But you effectively can just do CBT on yourself. And I also think that that's way more effective in the most, for the most part if you're a critical thinker um, and you can self-reflect because you're able to, like, most people who've read, say, the less wrong sequences can argue their way out of any standard <laughs> like CBT uh, process because they can just yeah. think of all of these edge cases and caveats and like epistemic <laughs> failings and, you know, and they're like, well, what if we look at this from a Bayesian perspective? And then it, and then it, and then it becomes just a, another navel-gazing game. But when you're doing it to yourself, it's very hard to 
to fool yourself. Exactly, exactly. And then you can find, like I think the, the key thing with CBT and like challenging beliefs is you have to find uh, a challenge to the belief that you buy. Mm. Yeah, and like most therapists, like they're lovely people, they're very high EQ, but they're not, it's not, it doesn't filter very much for high IQ. And so yeah. like, yeah, they're just not gonna be able to convince yeah. you of it, but you can definitely convince yourself. I, I mean, rationalist types are very much in like a minority in terms of general population and then particularly the ones that are more of the ea persuasion where it's you know much more um empathy and maybe social awareness and things like that um, that's a very small subset of people so it wouldn't make <laughs> sense for like most cbt practitioners like clinically to to be optimized for that um so it's very much a, a roll your own type type yeah. thing within the community which i think is yeah really really valuable yeah. you uh you mentioned earlier the um analogy when you're doing the the loving kindness of um having like harry uh you know being spoken to by dumbledore uh it was that kind of top of mind did you read methods of rationality was that <laughs> no no it was well, i have read methods of rationality um and i love that book amazing yeah. um it's mostly just like i feel like dumbledore um is one of my like i always describe him as my aspirational spirit animal um, <laughs> was that before reading Methods of Rationality, just from yeah. like the canon I mean, Harry Potter? Yeah, yeah, canon Harry Potter. Definitely not, not, I don't think, like Dumbledore in Methods of Rationality is not super smart, is he? I forget. Well, spoilers if you're listening. <laughs> I, I think everyone who will listen to this podcast has read it already, but he, uh, he's, he's very much acting like, like an idiot the whole way through but uh, there's a, there's twists at the end that reveal that he ha that he was playing a level higher at many uh, points okay. along the story yeah but it doesn't come through the majority of the time Quirrell comes across as a much more yeah. um smart and effective rationalist type agent um although very cold and uncaring and merciless which yeah. is the total opposite <laughs> to what you we aspire to be and i think that's yeah. where the, the harry counterbalance comes in there because he's very emotional and, and empathetic yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah so so canon canon dumbledore i really like because um you know he's a combination of he's very altruistic he cares a lot yeah but he also has a good time like he's having a fun time yeah yeah he's not he's not like you know, I, I feel like um, I, I posted recently, I was asking, um, does anybody have examples of balanced heroes? Yeah. Where like they care and they do altruistic things, but they also have like self-care and like are happy. Right. Yeah. And because like I feel like most of the time, like the heroes are just like, let's sacrifice everything. Yeah. Or they're like overly selfish and they have to like, learn to be more altruistic. Right. And exactly. so, so you actually, Tony Stark kind of goes in both directions. Like I feel right. like Tony Stark at the beginning was way too selfish. And then at the end, like I... Oh, well, also, spoilers for Avengers Endgame. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I actually, okay, so Tony Stark's story in that, I watched it when I was feeling super burnt out. Okay. Like, I was like, oh, like, I, like, altruism is too much, like, living too much and everything. And Tony Stark starts off by being totally burnt out. He's like, half the world's dead. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's because he failed. And he's just like, fuck it, I'm gonna go into the woods and become an independent researcher. And I was yeah. like, that sounds so appealing. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dream, That's too. Your thing, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then he does do that. And then of course, like, you know, he gets the, the, the hero's call like, yeah. later on. They're like, hey, no, we need you. And he's like, ah, like, but I'm happy. And you guys are gonna make me unhappy. And then I forget exactly what happened, but they basically said like, no, 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 you can be happy too and save the world. And I was like, wow, that's so good. Oh my that's God, this is gonna be- a really good message, yeah. yeah. And then he fucking dies. <laughs> <laughs> he sacrifices his entire life to save the world. And I'm all like, that's very nice for regular people to see the story. Yeah. But for me, that totally destroyed me. I like hated yeah. that movie afterwards. I was like, wow. Cause like I was thinking like, oh yeah, maybe I can have both. Exactly. And then he dies. Um, but, uh, but anyways, like I'm actually still like, now I'm trying to like figure out like, how do you actually be um, uh, balanced? How do you be, how do you help the world and also be happy at the same time? Which is like, 
tricky thing. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's very challenging. Um, I mean, a, a big thing that I always struggled with was like the guilt aspect of that. And then um, a friend of mine was like, oh, hey, you should read this series of blog posts that my Nate Sorys uh, from um, Mary. And uh, I read it and it resonated so hard. Like it helped me so much that I ended up reaching out to Nate and was like, can I just narrate the audio version of this so that more people will listen to it? Because it was that impactful to me. Um, and that, things, things like that just trying to find the balance between how to take care of yourself so that you don't burn out or, or just become overwhelmed by the emotion, all the things you could be working on and feel like you ought to be. Um, and at the same time, also, you know, not just enjoying life and d doing nothing about the world around you. And like, that's a really hard balance to strike. And I think I'd, I'd put that up there in like the top risks to EA type people or people involved in the community and, and actually actively doing things as the major thing you have to be concerned with, uh, with defending yourself against, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's hard. And um, yeah, so far my, my solution right now is just, uh, so I tend to think of, um, you can think of altruism, like your altruism levels as it were, as like what percentage of all of your resources do you give to other people versus yourself? Right. And like all resources includes like money, but also time, energy, emotions, all that. And I think like, for my first eight years in EA, I was like a 90% altruist or like a 95%. I was trying to get to 99. Yeah. Um, and now I'm more of like a 50 or 60%. And, uh, and interestingly though, for that, it's not because of burnout. It's because, so like I did a whole bunch of looking into what causes burnout. And actually one of the things is um, it's, it's less to do with the number of hours, hours you work. Um, as opposed to, like, there's a bunch of different things. Like burnout, just like depression, can be caused by a bunch of different things. Yeah. There's not going to be like one true cause yeah. of burnout. Um, but one really common one is uh, the feeling that what you're doing isn't working. Mm. And it was funny you said it earlier, like, oh yeah, you have all these clear, unambiguous signs of success. And like, I actually look at my past and I'm like, I don't know, I was good at the intermediate metrics, right. but I have no idea if they were actually good in like. At, like overall actually the act because you can't know you can't be inside other people's minds and see if their suffering is reduced directly right so and that's the ultimate and there's flow through effects so for example like i think that um uh so there's the poor meat eater problem yeah, which okay. is the idea that um if you help somebody who's in poverty yeah. and then they go on to eat more factory farmed animals oh wow does this I've increase suffering oh wow yeah. Oh, and it sucks. And like people tend to think like, oh no, but like it's fine because um, you know poor people they often don't have access to factory farmed animals. Like they'll just be eating animals in their backyard or whatever. Um, and uh, you know that's like true to a certain extent. But we've had like a bunch of people go and do actual calculations on this and do the research, and it's like, oh, it doesn't look good. Yeah. It does not look good. And also, a lot of the animals they keep in the backyard they do not treat very nicely either. Yeah. Um, and so like I mean, chickens are actually surprisingly fine. Chickens are usually if they're in a factory farm, that's like the worst. Yeah. But um, in like the developed world that's often actually pretty good they just the, wander the around the poultry extreme there yeah. is pretty wide <laughs> but for but for for cattle or, or yeah like often places. with cattle they'll just lock them in the backyard and not yeah. let them interact with other cows and just like they stand in their own filth all day and yeah like, oh this is like not great that's, yeah it's even worse because not only are they going to be you know live to die they're living more miserable existences as well so exactly uh, it had never occurred to me that um dynamic before because there's there's clearly this the trades to be made and you have to yeah. say you know at some point you know the trolley problem so to speak come up of, yeah. of evaluating like how many human lives um versus how many uh cow lives or chicken lives or whatever and like yeah. what, how do you measure the, the the qualities there 
Um, exactly. But actually that will come up regardless because even if you're like, okay, I don't care about um, you know, the, this trade-off upfront at all, I'm just going to improve human lives. Turns out you might actually add in a whole bunch of, yeah, yep. much more suffering in another form and you've just actually just shifted it somewhere else. Exactly, exactly. And so like I'm, I'm of the opinion that like I'm not even sure if AMF is net positive. Okay. And so like that puts me in like a weird situation. Right. And then with animal rights, you're thinking like, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's clearer there. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. So there's the, um, the small animal replacement problem, okay. which is that um, a lot of times what happens is if you do, um, this is less of the case now because like they're doing um, more like uh, cage-free campaigns and stuff like that. But um, back when, in the early days when I was there, um, they're doing more veg outreach. And they're trying okay. to convince people to go vegetarian or vegan. The thing is, is that a lot of times when you go and tell people about how bad it is in factory farms, what they do is they give up all meat except for fish. And fish is some of the highest suffering density of right. all the animals. Because yeah. like if you, uh, like for example, salmon, if you have one salmon, like they're carnivorous. They actually eat other fish. Right. So like one fillet of salmon has like, last I looked at it, and like super rough. Like you're actually causing like the suffering of 40 fish. With one wow. fillet. Okay. That's massive. Because that salmon that you're eating is then being replaced in the wild, which means that there's another... Oh, so this is farm salmon. Just purely for farm salmon? Okay. So this is okay. farm salmon. So wild animals is like a... Wild caught fish is a totally other different it's thing. But like, venom, but right? like if you get, if you get uh, farmed fish, yeah, then... Yeah, they're fed other fish. Exactly. And so you literally, yeah, per life form, yeah. much higher um, impact. Exactly. Exactly. And like... So um, it can actually make it so that doing veg outreach might be net negative on animal welfare. Because it pushes people to pescatarianism. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And you're like, for goodness sake, um, <laughs> this is really yeah. hard. I mean, that's hard enough as like an individual to try and weigh up like how, what decisions you're going to make. Because you're also factoring in your own health and energy levels and all of that when you make these choices. Yeah. Um, and what you can afford. And so like now you're throwing in this whole thing <laughs> of like, how do we count and like, are oh, smaller fish like less capable of suffering than larger fish? And there's this yeah. whole thing about like, you know, krill and things like that. <laughs> and, okay, what, at what level does it, does it, it's so much to think about. And that's the part I think that becomes really overwhelming. And then if you're doing that yeah. for your job, yeah. even more so. Yeah, exactly. So like, I felt like basically what happened for me is that like, I first started off like, you know, my, my first beginning of ethical career was doing totally random things. It was like, oh, like. I mean, I was like 19, so I yeah. went to anarchism because, you know, everybody goes through one of those phases. Yeah. And so I volunteered at the anarchist bookstore. Probably was net neutral at, at yeah. best, so that's like fine. Um, you know, and then like I kept learning new things about what was happening, like uh, about how the world worked and everything. And then I'd update, right? So I like um, find out like, oh, this crucial consideration. Oh, okay, I should pivot, right? And the first few times it happened, I remember um, we actually, um, so I was uh, one of the ones who ran the, the first um, RCT in the animal rights community. So this is the one that was like on leafleting. So so we actually okay. went and tested it out because at the time Brian Tomasic had done these like calculations saying it seemed pretty good. And we're like, let's actually test it. Yeah, so we just like yeah. launched the RCT. Again, it's one of those things that you could just do this. I think people think that you have to have like a PhD or something before you can do yeah. study. You? There's no print a bunch of leaflets, randomly assign to, to different uh, targets and and follow up and see what yeah. happens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like um, you don't need permission to do most things. Um, that's a, that's actually such an underrated statement. You don't need permission to do most things. And I think, yeah, I think more people need to realize that and yeah. like deeply feel that, not just hear that. Because for me, I've been, I've heard that many times before, but there've been a few times in my life where I've deeply felt that. It's mm. been someone specifically said it to me in some specific context. And that Ooh. was the huge difference. So it's very nice having salient examples like this, um, because there's probably a bunch of people who might listen to this whole, who would think, oh, we need an RCT on some topic. Yeah. And just never did it because you need to be affiliated or whatever. And then actually, no, you don't. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I could set that up as a thing on my website or something. I've been thinking of putting up like a basically a calendar link saying like, hey, if you want to start something, yeah. you know, you can just like book a time with me here. I could just like people could book a time with me. And I can say like, hey, you don't need permission. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think yeah. that would actually be immensely high value. Um, surprisingly so like it just just <laughs> yeah. being told that directly by one person yeah. yeah yeah and I think like right now the EA community has gone too far in like a particular direction of asking for permission of like epistemic modesty of right. saying like oh hey like before you do anything you have to make sure that like everybody agrees it's good and you have to get like sign off from all these people and like sure like you should check and make sure that like some smart people aren't saying like hey don't do this thing it'll explode everything yeah. right but like okay so like when i first got into ai safety so i'd been in near-termism up until about two years ago and then i switched to long-termism and um i came in and i was like i want to do all these things and then i felt like um you know there's like that scientific experiment where like you know um there's a whole bunch of monkeys in uh, a room and there's like yeah. a pile of bananas but whenever oh, yeah. the monkeys try and touch the bananas they get sprayed with water yeah. um and so then a new monkey comes in and all of the monkeys are like no you can't touch the banana right um i felt like that i felt like the new monkey coming in i saw this giant pile of bananas and i was right. like "Ooh, let's go and then all the monkeys were like don't don't yeah but then what i did so i was like okay you know i'm gonna listen i'm gonna like Pay attention to the fact that all the senior monkeys are telling you don't touch the bananas. But instead of saying, oh, I'm not going to touch the bananas, I said, okay, I'm going to go ask people why they think this. I'm going to figure out exactly. why. I'm going to read all the articles. I'm going to do the research, right? And then I'm going to form my own opinion. And then if I think that, okay, yeah, actually, I agree. Yeah. I shouldn't touch the bananas. Because you get sprayed with water. Then, yeah. then like, okay, that makes sense. That yeah, checks out. Exactly. But then sometimes, like, you know, I read it and, like, so, for example, with the, um, uh, one of the first things that came up was unilateralist curse. Like people were like, oh no, and they were super worried. And uh, so I looked into it and I was like, oh, like, yeah, but there's a solution to this. You just go and ask a few people who are smart and informed, hey, what do you think of this? And yeah. if a sufficient number of them are like fine with it, or at least like not saying don't do it, then you can. Yeah. It's solved, this is a solved problem. We don't have right. to act as yeah. if there's this big scary thing that we don't know if we're gonna mess it up or not. It's like, we can just ask people. Um, and, uh, and same with like info hazards. I was looking into that and I was like, okay, there are some things that like, clearly these are info hazards. Do you, do you have favorite <laughs> examples there? Cause I'm always looking for a clean example of an info hazard, like the existence proof for at least one info Well, hazard. okay. So you don't want to say the info hazards that are actually info hazards that are currently active info hazards. Cause then, then <laughs> that is that, okay. That is, yeah. that is also, yeah, by definition. No. Yeah. 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 But, um, I actually, uh, had some people look into this and, um, if you just go onto the EA forum and look at my thing, you can see like there's like a article I posted about info hazards and there's like a giant list I added there of right. um, examples of info hazards that right. are like safe. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember. They're not info ones. hazards to the people reading them. Yeah. Or... And like the classic example was um, uh, saying that uh, you could poison, um, like you could put poison in Tylenol bottles. Okay. Like this is before they had put the safety seal on. Right. Um, and basically before nobody had ever thought to add poison to random pharmacy like drugs and stuff, right? Like okay. they're like, why would you do that? Yeah. Um, and then one person did it apparently. Um, I forget if this is like, and like this is like apocryphal or not, but uh, they, uh, then when one person did it, it went into the news and then tons of people started doing it. So knowing that it can be done yeah. is an info hazard because suddenly with that information, a lot more people are going to be doing this very negative thing. Exactly, exactly. So like that was the thing. But I also think like an important part of that story is that then we developed safety seals. Yeah. And then it was fine. Yeah. So, so like, and I think that there are a lot of things like that as well, where it's like, and we, we're not going to develop those safety precautions mm. unless, unless we talk you about actually, it. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's always a tricky thing because in almost all cases, more information is better. And mm -hmm. the, the rationalist EA types are, are very much about like, find the truth, understand, you know, 
mm-hmm. you know what is true is already so you just don't yet know it and believe it but you you should yeah, um, yeah. and and so info hazards are where it gets like really weird at the at yeah, the boundaries there exactly and also on the other hand i actually think like um i haven't come up with a best name for it yet um i think I'm, like right now my best name for it is the altruist's advantage so it's kind of the opposite okay. of the info hazard where it's like um okay so in um uh, in the suffering risk community, of the S-risk community, um, which is way harder to say out loud. It's very yeah. clear in it writing. It works beautifully in yeah. text. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the S-risk community, there's like this concern about um, uh, creating, like they think it's an info hazard to um, apologize to anybody who thinks it's still an info hazard. I'm going to talk about it anyways. Yeah. Um, but uh, so there's this idea of that, um, you know, like Pascal's mugging, right? So yeah. it comes up to me and says like, hey, I'm going to cause like a bajillion suffering unless you give me $5. Um, and the thing is, is like right now that's just a thought experiment. But in the future, when we have superintelligences, this is actually a thing that could happen. Yeah. Like a superintelligence, an aligned superintelligence could be threatened by an unaligned superintelligence, by like the unaligned superintelligence saying, I'm going to go simulate a bajillion suffering unless you give me what I want. Um, and so they're trying to figure out how to make sure that doesn't happen um, or how to like, yeah, make sure that they don't capitulate or something. Um, it's a really important research agenda. I think that like the people who are doing that, that's fantastic. We should definitely be working on that. Um, the thing is, is like they're like, oh, we shouldn't talk about it too much. We shouldn't make it very emotionally salient. We should, we should. They act, they're actively trying to make it so that their their uh, public materials are less interesting, so that it doesn't become this info hazard where people wow. hear about it and okay. then make it more likely. And so I have a few responses to that, and I've talked to them about this. So, um, but so one of them is that uh, right now, from a if you're like a malevolent or an uh, indifferent person. Um, and you want to threaten people to get th- people to do things. Imagine, imagine I'm I'm this malevolent person. I just want I want to get the most I can out of out of the president or something. Yeah. I go up to the president. I say, President, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to simulate a bajillion bajillion suffering. First off, he's going to be like, you can't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and then even if I could, he's not going to care. Yeah. Like, why would they care? Come back to me when you have like an identifiable victim. I want yeah. you, I want to see like a, a little girl who's like tied up in a chair that will get me to do something not like some artificial sentient yeah. beings like they're not the gonna... tiny probabilities involved with like pascal's mugging type scenarios that make it dangerous to bayesian agents thinking about these things don't apply to someone who runs a country exactly there's like just some threshold below which it's like it's it's so unlikely that it's not worth their time and and even if it was say we do have simulation machines now that can do it yeah they're not going to care they're not going to care about digital beings because they're regular humans. They're not EAs. EAs are going to care. Yeah. You can maybe threaten an EA, but even a lot of EAs won't care. They're yeah. going to be like, no, I don't know if it's sentient. Where's your proof? Yeah, exactly. Right? So, like, so unless those sentient uh, minds had votes, then, then, then the politicians would care. <laughs> but, but other yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like utility monsters. We can have voting monsters. You can just create enough voters. Um, but uh, yeah, so like, it's not useful for a malevolent agent right now. Yeah. Until the point where we're actually already at, where we have super intelligences. Yeah. And if you're a super intelligence, you are going to think of this in two seconds. It's going it, to be immediately obvious. Yeah, exactly. Like this is not going to be this thing where we have to be worried that the super intelligence will figure out to use threats. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is like pretty basic, obvious things. Yeah. Like if we can think of it, a super intelligence is going to think of it. And so right now is actually like, and this is where the altruistic advantage comes in, where it's like malevolent people aren't going to be interested in this. The only people who are going to be interested in this are altruistic people who are trying to prevent something in the future. Right. Because if you're a malevolent person, you don't care about trying to threaten somebody 50 years from now in some uncertain future. Yeah. You care about threatening somebody right now. Yeah. And there's way better tools. And so we actually have this like period of time, for an indifferent period of time, where we're going to have the advantage 
we're the only people interested. We can make tons of progress. We can be making progress on making the, the safety seals on Tylenol yeah. bottles before anybody even thinks to put poison in there. Right. And so we should actually be talking about this way more and spreading it way more. The terrorists don't care. There are some yeah, info hazards that like, yeah, definitely do what? Like don't mention some things in like biotech to Yeah, terrorists. yeah, that's, like, that's always an area yeah. where I'm like, because there, there are definitely things that if you knew them would yeah. radically change yeah. how people behave in the world in dangerous ways. It's like this class of, of thing that's considered an info hazard by some people mm -hmm. that's then actually not like the info hazard is the is the meta it's the belief that those things are an info hazard because that stops people from actually you like talking about them enough to make productive yeah yeah well uh, yeah it's not, it's not quite an info hazard but it is a block it's basically yeah, yeah, one okay, of it's those, just yeah. like yeah it's just in general like so i like how you phrase it of like the, the altruist advantage there's a bunch of things that only well-intentioned, well-meaning people who care about solving the problem will care about for the majority of the time up front before it becomes actually dangerous enough that it's viable for exactly. malevolent actors. I, I love that. That's a really interesting lens to start throwing at, uh, at potentially risky problems. Mm -hmm. Do you think that applies to most of kind of AI safety uh, at the moment? <laughs> Not quite. I think capabilities is already like for AI generally. Yeah. Um, there's like a very clear reason to build it up. Not not if yeah. you're malevolent necessarily. Although also malevolent. Like I think that if I was if I was an evil government, I would definitely be interested in AI. I'd be like, yeah, that seems like there's already use cases for yeah. it. It's already useful. Yeah. And so it's 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 much closer to that point where that's like that's gonna yeah like we don't we don't want to be talking necessarily about how great ai is and how, yeah. how powerful it is or could be because i do think that that's the sort of thing that could get people yeah. i mean i think cats are out of the bag there it's already pretty powerful it's pretty obvious eas are not going to move the needle on that so i'm not i'm not super concerned um at the moment it does it, it almost seems to be like an ultra advantage in the in the way that the people who are able to use these tools and put them together in a way that actually works have generally invested a lot of their life and education and work into building these systems and publishing that or, or utilizing them to to generate revenue or something like something that's at least benign um, and so it, but as soon as you as soon as you get state actors involved there it becomes it becomes dangerous i often have yeah. to find myself being like oh that new technology and that new technology that just was released now like oh if we just stuck this to that and then we and then i'm like mm, shut, shut up don't, <laughs> definitely don't tweet that yeah. um yeah so there there are definitely and and this has changed so much in the last four or five years the the explosion in capabilities since i guess gpt i mean my views on this update on like a monthly basis um, and how, how our timelines are looking for, uh. <laughs> for the scary stuff. So it, it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough one to, to be looking into and to be thinking about and to be trying to enact positive change. And I think also maybe you had a similar experience like with the world's reaction to COVID, particularly from organizations <laughs> and leaders that are supposed to be dealing with these kind of things that you know, are in everyone's interest. I mean, the response was so dismal um, that you, you, it, it just really, you lose all confidence that there are any adults in charge for, even for things that like we know what they are and what we can do about them. When you're talking about AGI or alignment, um, I mean, that might not even be solvable at all. So it's very, very hard to, yeah, to feel <laughs> optimistic about that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, some things that helped me. So when I first heard the simulation argument, it was like around 10 years ago or something. Yeah. I remember thinking like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But like, it's probably wrong somehow. I don't know why. Yeah. So I like, I basically like on the face value, I was like, I believe this like 99%, but I just like 
put it down to like 50% just because like probably my reasoning went wrong somewhere. Sure. So it was around 50% chance we're in a simulation. But I was thinking, well, like what are the implications of that? Doesn't really matter. I'm just yeah. gonna live my life as I would anyways. I did that for a long time. Then two years ago, right in the middle of like the, the beginning of COVID, um, I just, uh, I was like, wait a second. There's no way that I'm just probably wrong about everything and it has no implications whatsoever. Right. So I spent like a whole month basically just like obsessively thinking about the simulation hypothesis. Yeah. Um, and uh, just generating a million different reasons why you might make this simulation or any simulation at all um, and thinking about the implications. And one of the implications um, that I'm not sure if this will cross apply to anybody. So, but, but this is the least work for me is that like, I just feel way happier because, um, so a few things, one, so maybe AGI kills us all, right? Yeah. But like there's a 50% chance I'm in a simulation. And the simulation actually could just be pretty new. Could be that it was made like two seconds ago. Yeah. Um, and, or it could be small. It could be, it's gonna end in like two seconds already anyways, for other reasons. Um, it just all of a sudden becomes, it, it's much more likely that's a small simulation. So if, if this is base reality, then the universe is massive. Yeah. If this is a simulation, there's a decent probability that um, either it's conditionally rendered and only things I'm looking at are yeah. around, or that it's like relatively small. It could actually just be like the reason why there's like empty space forever, forever is because they just stop. Yeah. <laughs> there's like ah. It's just like yeah, background texture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's all sorts of things, right? So, um, and uh, it just becomes like much less likely that something is bad. Um, also, if this is base reality and everything looks and like like I'm a I'm an atheist, I'm a determinist or a, like reductionist, whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm like, well, you know, I'm just a bunch of atoms. Um, but if we're in a simulation, it, there's at least some possibility. I mean, it could be that the simulation is like a hydrogen simulator. It explains why there's so much hydrogen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but it could also be um, that this is a simulation that is somehow related to me. Like it becomes much more likely that that's the case. And yeah, all of a sudden I have this possibility that I am somehow important or special. And that's oh, wow. really nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's an interesting aspect on it. That, that knowing that something must have created the simulation yeah. means that there's a higher chance that you're actually deliberately there. Yeah. And, and observed and known and meaningful in some other way that you wouldn't otherwise be in just the base reality, cold, dark universe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, okay. and, um, and then there's other things too. So like, um, you know, uh, all of a sudden there's all these things like, and you can update based on your own experience, right? Yeah. So I can look at my life and be like, well, you know, maybe I'm being simulated because I actually play a role in bringing about an aligned AGI. And this is like a biography of Kat who was like involved with bringing about like a, a right. like a benevolent superintelligence. Okay. Like people would want to read about that. Yeah. Um, and so it makes it more likely that I'm going to win, which feels <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So those definitely like boost, boost your, your, yeah. your confidence and mood for, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, so doing a month of navel gazing about the simulation hypothesis <laughs> turns out to be very productive Yeah. because you can then uh, utilize the, the kind of positive emotions and uh, things that come from that to, exactly. to actually go do things within what is either the world or a simulation. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Other things that um, have kind of been like a positive thing from that. I mean, all these things are low probabilities, right? Like most of like, if we're in yeah. simulation, most of the probability mass is in, I don't know why this simulation exists. Yeah, exactly. like, I don't know, it's probably some super weird thing. They're just like maximizing like leptons or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, there's some probability as well. Like this is like, this is one of those things that just makes me feel happier and makes me act better. Um, which is I think, well, what if we've already developed a super intelligence yeah. and it is currently trying to figure out what it should do. It's trying to figure out human values and we're the training data. Like it's training on us. It's looking at us and it's yeah. trying to learn like what, what value should I, 
have. And so I think like, I'm like, it's almost like, what if the super intelligence is watching right now? How should I behave in such a way that it would like learn the right values? Yeah. If you believe in a simulation, and like whatever probability you put, right? Yeah. Like, and I think like anybody who's rational should put like, like I, I think that if you put um, lower than a 1% chance, like I think that you're just like wrong and I'm willing to like debate you on that. Yeah. Um, uh, like I think it should, like, I mean, obviously I think it should be 50% because right. I'm obviously correct. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we've seen like one and 99%. You're, you're pretty yeah. happy that yeah. the person gets it enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, mostly though, I still have the thing of like, well, we're just going to develop an AGI and then it'll figure it out. So if we are in a simulation, I still want to create a super intelligence, which will yeah. figure out either how to get us out or get the simulation to be better. Because like, yeah. if the simulation is what it looks like, like factory farming is just unacceptable. Like that yeah. should not be the thing. Like global poverty, what the fuck? Like what yeah. are we doing? Like if there's a simulator that can just adjust the settings, like we should, obviously. Absolutely. Um, and so, but like a super intelligence is better able to figure that out. Right. Than we are. So. Um, there you go. So it that's still a, all comes back that's to a, that's, Yeah, that's a great um, kind of branch of optimism that, that, <laughs> that most people will never consider. That's, uh, that's a really interesting uh, yeah. you know, to put on it. Yeah. yeah. Another one um, that's like a weird way of feeling optimistic is so if you um, are determinist, I think like free will doesn't make any sense. I mean, mm. you can have like the compatibilism thing, but that's like, so there's this great SMBC comic about compatibilism, which is, um, it shows like this mom talking to her kid and she says, hey, do you want to go see dinosaurs? And the kid's like, yeah, I want to see dinosaurs. And they go and see some chickens and the mom's like, ha see, chickens are technically dinosaurs. And the kid's like, oh, well, you knew what I meant. Like, <laughs> I didn't want to see chickens. And, and then the next panel is Dennett, Daniel Dennett's the guy who's yeah. super compatibilist. Like he goes and talks to this philosophy student and says, hey, you can have determinism and free will. <laughs> and then he explains compatibilism and he's like, oh, but that's not what I meant. You know that. Exactly. And like, so yeah, so anyways, um, even if you're compatibilist, this still makes sense of um, there's no other way things that could have been. And right. so I take comfort in this. So say mm. like we do everything we can and we still all die. There is actually nothing else you could have done. Yeah. In like a very real and important sense, like a foundational sense, you're, there's only you could ever do what you could have done. And so you can't really blame yourself. Yeah. yeah it's, and, it's still okay. Yeah. And so you should still try it, right? Like yeah. it's still one of those things where it's like, okay, like um, I don't blame criminals for doing what they do, but I still think we should put them in jail as like a preventative yeah. measure for other people right. or like taking them off the streets if they're going to continue committing crimes. Um, and likewise, we should still try and make sure that AGI doesn't kill us all or torture exactly. us all. But like also like at the end of the day, there's no like... Yeah, you couldn't have done anything else. And yeah. so like the lack of free will can actually make you happier. It, but we have this very important instrumental illusion of free will and yeah. agency and the ability to do things. And like that's a really important thing as we were speaking about earlier to cultivate. Yeah. So there's this amazing <laughs> duality to that of this instrumental split in like, okay, I think this is actually true. And that gives me one way to be kind of optimistic and more um, kind to myself about things. But in the other way, you know, I believe that I should be agentic and try and do things and go out there and actually create things. And it's a very like, active thing, even though that's predetermined to, to, some, to yeah. some extent. Yeah, like the is, feeling of choosing to do things, doesn't, yeah. you know, it's not actually free will, it's just the feeling yeah. of doing things, yeah. Which is, it's just amazing juxtaposition there, but yeah. that's, that's <laughs> the reality we inhabit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about what you are kind of actively working on at the moment um, in terms of yeah, your stuff with um, nonlinear. Um, you also uh, not that long ago started nonlinear library, which is audio versions of 
Is it everything on less wrong ultimately? Is that the goal? Or is it uh, yeah, currently? so that's like the goal eventually. We haven't gotten around to it. Just like it's just like a bunch of like you know little things. But um, yeah, so like right now, what it does, the nonlinear library just automatically turns all of the top content on the EA forum, less wrong, and alignment forum yeah. into a podcast form. Yeah. Um, and so you can just like automatically get it all in your your uh, your podcast player. Yeah. Um, what and, what um, was the decision behind that? Because because most people wouldn't have gone with that. It's generally still considered that it's nicer to have a human narrator. And then there's like the problems of like technical articles with a lot of maths notation or tables or diagrams. Yeah. So yeah. what was the what was the thought process behind um, that? I mean, so like um, I remember I was talking to somebody from Less Wrong. We were talking about doing all the backlog and he was yeah. thinking like, oh, we should do it like where we do a human. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, try it. But like super back of the envelope calculation, it would take years, multiple people working full time and millions of dollars. Yeah. Whereas to do it with an AI costs like $10,000, will take you a couple weeks. Yeah. And yeah, and I was like, well, that's like pretty fucking good. I mean, like humans are great. I love listening to humans. I definitely prefer humans over robots. Yeah, but, but robots are better than nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the, exactly. That's the trade. Yeah, okay. exactly. And so like if I had gotten a person and it would have been, so like my big thing is passive impact. So like passive income, but for impact. And I was like, well, if I start with humans, I'm going to have to either incubate it and like have it run somebody else. And that's going to take up a whole bunch of humans time or I can just make a robot do it. And it's like, it's still generating the background. I don't do anything with it anymore. Yeah. And it's still like, just we, we have like 40 episodes a week or something crazy. Yeah, and it just um, pumps out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even if we had humans, if we wanted to do all of the ones that we wanted to do, it would it would take so many people. It would take a whole organization working full time. And it's like, man, like we have better things to do. Yeah. Um, and you'd still face the same problems with the notation and the figures and whatever. Exactly, like exactly. And so, and like my big thing is, yeah, like I wanted to set it up so it could run without me. This is like a great way. Machines like are awesome. one of the best ways to automate things, yeah. obviously. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I originally built it for myself. Like I was like, I really want to just have this because I have like a bunch of difficulties trying to like get things to listen. I have a whole system now for like how to turn everything into audio. Oh, awesome. I'd be yeah. super uh, interested to know about that. Yeah. I've just been using Pocket for years, which has a pretty good text to speech reader. And I've, as you get more familiar with it, you get better at kind of following it. Um, but that's all happening kind of on device. It's like, it's not ideal. It still gets some things wrong. Yeah. So you, you've got a more elaborate system oh, that gets yeah, yeah. better, better gonna, quality. Yeah, I'm going to publish the article soon. I can share the doc with you and um, maybe maybe by the time, this will this will be my kick in the butt to, to, to publish to it. Out. Yeah, well, yeah, then it'll yeah, definitely be in the show notes. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm super interested in that. So yeah, yeah. so it's very much like a tactical decision that came off something you had done for yourself anyway. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and then since then it's evolved, we've got like a bunch of things we've got. Uh, now it's like, because um, uh, the original, the main channel, is uh, it's very high volume, like just tons of stuff comes out all the yeah. time. Um, so we've set up like ones where you can just have like one episode daily um, or one episode per week okay. if that's what you want. And then um, who cherry picks which episodes those oh, are? Oh, it's done automatically. So um, okay. it's just like based off of, I think the algorithm was something like whatever's the top upvoted of the last 24 hours and just pick that one. Really cool. Um, yeah, again, automatic, oh, no so, humans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really cool. Um, and uh, so yeah, so we did that. Um, uh, another thing that we put out recently was the EA houses. This is meant to be kind of like the Airbnb of EA. Right. Um, yeah, I saw that, uh, but I didn't get a chance to look into it. So what's the what's the idea behind that? Yeah. So the idea behind that is basically um, that uh, if anybody has spare space, they can turn that into impact okay. by having EAs come and live right. with them yeah. and then do stuff. And that can be almost like it's almost like a decentralized EA hotel where you can just have like a bunch of people and like it's almost like renting to give or something like hey if you have the space and this originally came about because um me and my partner have this house and we're only going to be there for 
um, like three to six months of the year. And the rest of the year, it was going to be empty and we can't rent it out. And yeah. we're like, well, let's just turn this into impact. Like, let's right. just have a whole bunch okay. of people come live here and do EA stuff. with like. So instead of just turning it into like currency by Airbnb normally and then trying to allocate that currency, you're just, you're just cutting out that whole intermediate step. Exactly, exactly. Very cool. Yeah, and so then, the, and we're hoping like other people can do that as well. So, like, there's a whole bunch of people there. You have different like things. Like, so some people put it there that they're just looking for roommates and it's actually like costing money. Other people are like, look like us who have spare space and we're like, yeah, you can just stay here for free for a very long time. Okay. And then some people are like, oh, this is couch surfing. You can stay here for a couple days. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we put out that. That's like really easy. Uh, we just like put a really simple thing out there. We're like, yeah. Maybe gonna make it better, but like that was just kind of like, hey, this should obviously exist. Um, That's great. Yeah, and then um, the big things that I'm working on right now are um, so one. This is like the working title is like the nonlinear support fund, okay. um, but uh, we might call it something different. Um, but uh, the general idea behind this is that um, make it so that we remove um, the need. Like so, uh, the way I kind of think of AI safety strategy is we've got two things. We've got um, uh, so we need to figure out the answer to how to create a safe AGI yeah. sometime in the next year to 100 years or exactly. so um, on, on certain timelines. Um, how do we maximize the chance that we get that answer in time? Right. And there's two broad ways I see to do that. One, get more researchers on it, right? Um, and the other is make better use of the researchers we currently have. Um, and so um, uh, I think we should obviously do both. Both is better. Um, but uh, so this particularly works on how do we make the best, like how do we like empower and enable the existing safety researchers to do their best work? Okay. And um, so the support fund is basically just the idea of um, whatever people could plausibly use to increase their productivity, we'll just pay for. Wow. And uh, we'll have a really simple decision metric. Like we're not exactly sure what it's going to be yet, but like the basic idea is to have um, something simple like, oh, hey, we're just going to, um, rely on like a trust network in terms of like, hey, if you've already received funding from any of these trusted funding sources, like they've already vetted you. Oh, You're already high impact. Yeah. We can just give you money now yeah. for like, you know, things like, um, I mean like the two basic ones are therapy and coaching. Um, like coaching just can help you get through like a lot of the stuff. You just need some help figuring out how to be like more productive and like actually yeah. have somebody following up with you every week. Um, therapy obviously makes sense. It's really especially good for um, burnout and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, but there's like all sorts of other things like sad lamps, um, air conditioning. Like recently we had a, a, a heat wave in yeah. Europe and people just don't have AC. Uh, and the buildings are insulated <laughs> to hell yeah. and high water. It's, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was insane. And like just getting AC for people. Um, yeah. uh, tutoring for ML stuff. That just seems like a really no brainer for a lot of people. Um, and uh, so just anything like that. And we're also gonna set up um, uh, we're going to be experimenting with having essentially kind of like FTX regranters, but yeah. for the pro for the support fund. Okay. So there'll just be people going around and trying to find people who need help, and then just giving it to them. Really um, okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so this is the way again to decentralize. Um, I'm a big fan of decentralizing and trying more things. I think right now the EA movement is like we need to be experimenting with way more stuff. Yeah. We need to be moving faster. We could be in a short timeline horizon. And if we are, we are going to die or be tortured for forever. These are, like, we need to move faster. No pressure, folks. Yeah. But <laughs> doesn't yeah. sound like fun. No, exactly. Um, so, like, we need to move a bit faster. And the thing is, is that um, I think people have this thing of, like, be cautious. And I agree. Mm. But the thing is, is what does it mean to be cautious? You know, if, if we're going straight towards a cliff, is it cautious to sit down and think really carefully about whether we should turn the wheel or not? Like, no. <laughs> you really need to just make the turn yeah. or find the brakes. Yeah, or something. exactly. Try a bunch of things. You yeah. need to try a bunch of things really fast because you're about to die. Yeah. And it could be that it's still another 50 years out. So we don't want to do things that 
are much more likely to cause like so my kind of thinking is that if we are if we are in a short timeline place and we okay. only do long timeline things we're dead if we're in a long timeline world but we act on short timelines we still have time to figure out the long timelines yeah. later right like so as long as we don't do things that like shoot ourselves in the foot right now yeah. right so like i don't recommend like committing acts of terror like that would really hurt our ability to help it in the future okay. right so don't yeah. <laughs> let it be on the record cat says no acts of terror uh, <laughs> But um, like most of these things are not like that. Most of these right. things like are not going to hurt our long-term prospects. And like I also get delegating epistemic authority if we're in a situation where we know what to do. If the epistemic authorities know what to do, and like I have nothing but respect for all of the major funders. Like I think they're fantastic. I think they're some of the smartest and most values-aligned people. And I lo I love that about the EA community. Yeah. But they're probably wrong about most things. Like everybody in the community. And so like it's not like they're like the uh, like oh if if um. Nick Beckstad or Holden says that this thing is is good. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good. And like yeah. I love these guys. They, these are guys yeah. are great. But like we don't know. Nobody yeah. knows. That's just that's just trust in authority at at this point. Um, yeah. On, yeah. On pure reputation, but actually doing the experiments, getting the data, playing with a bunch of stuff is going to be what's necessary to figure out where where everything goes. Because exactly. Most of us can't predict the future more than six months in advance with any reliance <laughs> anyway. Exactly, let alone for something like AI safety. Yeah. And, um, and it also depends on where your default is. So if you think that the default outcome is good, mm. and say you're like 99% chance, like if AI, AGI is developed this year, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. Right? Then there's more ways to mess it up than there are ways to make it better. Yes. So you should be more cautious. Yeah. Right? Or cautious in terms of like act acting. Most people are not acting under that assumption. There's very few people who are super optimistic if it happens in the next year or five years that's going to go well. Mm -hmm. um, and like most people have the strong default that actually it's going to be quite bad yeah. um, if we continue in our status quo direction. And uh, I think that's correct. And then that means that it's 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 not. I'm not saying like oh hey just like do whatever comes to mind immediately, right? Like again check with like smart people and see what they think. But also um, there's way more ways. For it to go like if if you, like in expectation, if you have somebody who's smart and trying to do things, like in expectation, it's going to make it better rather than worse. Yes, or have no effect. But or have, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's not, I mean that's the heavy default. We could yeah. be also in the simulation, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Always good to remember. Um, so yeah. So anyways, like I really like this idea of decentralizing things. That's what I love about FTX. Yeah. They've just like gone and given it to a whole bunch of regranters. I want to do that for everything. Okay. Awesome. Um, speaking of which, which is the next thing. Um, so yeah. So we have that uh, support fund. Um, we're going to be publishing that soon. Um, and then the other thing is uh, the bounty platform. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so this is like, or we're maybe calling it a surprise platform. Like, again, okay. we're still figuring out the names. Um, but the idea is to, um, so originally we're like, oh, yeah, we should make bounties. Bounties are fantastic yeah. because you just put up the money and you only pay out if somebody does the thing you want. So there you go. It's oh. perfect. Um, but, um, and so we, I, I've had a whole bunch of um, interns working on this where we generated like hundreds of ideas and like found all these different things and we're trying to compare them. And then uh, the thing that just filtered to the top as the best bounty was to let other people make the bounties. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the natural conclusion of make it a two-way market. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so um, we got a bunch of funding from SFF and we're actually um, working on setting that up so that we're going to have cool. a whole bunch of bounty regranters who um, can then go and make their own bounties, promote them, yeah. specify them and everything. And then if they do well, then we'll give them more money to give out more bounties and so forth. And so then, so the, the funding for the bounty is coming from you guys via your funding. They're not having to float the money themselves. Exactly. Okay, so this is the thing. So they, they can be anyone yeah. who's just well-versed in a topic and has identified something that would be useful. 
Um, and then there's some kind of reputation mechanism or something there as well. Exactly, exactly. And then the other thing too that I'm excited about this is that we'll make the bounties, but then other people can top them up if they think it's good and it's ah, underpriced, okay. right? So like, say you're going through this list of bounties, you're like, man, that's fantastic, but that's like only got a $1,000 prize on it. That yeah. should definitely be 10,000. Like, I'm gonna add 9,000 to make it 10,000. Right. And then you can start having price signals in the movement too of that's like, you awesome. can just imagine it, like if you're trying to contribute and you're like, okay, I care about AI safety, this is really important to yeah. me, now what? You can go to this giant list of bounties and you can just sort by like how much money there is or whatever, or like all sorts of things. Brilliant, yeah. that's like then you effectively will have a decision market going yeah. on there to not only just allocate the funds, but also to decide where they're best allocated um, and what the price to allocate for it is. So that's exactly. it. And then like, like your favorite thing, that's all being done kind of automatically <laughs> for you in this case by a decentralized community as opposed to a bunch of AI on a server somewhere. That's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Right, so that's the, that's like the next big thing too. Exactly, exactly. And I also really like it because um, it gives also a way, so the, the one, one group of people are gonna be just like random people yeah. who do it, right? And that's fantastic. We're getting these people counterfactually to do stuff. The other group of people I think will do a lot of bounty hunting is people who are new, who um, this is like right now, if you want to get an EA job or work in EA, there's like the small number of jobs, small number of internships, ridiculously competitive, yeah. um, so hard to get in. With the bounties, there's gonna be another way to get in and to prove yourself if you have no background. Cause like there's no, again, you don't need permission to yeah. go bounty hunting, it's you can totally just go. permissionless, you yeah. can just go do it. So if, if something's up there for a few thousand dollars and you're like, I can do this in a month or two, but you've got no your prior experience, you go, you do it, you get that, you get that funding that you, allows you to solve the problem. Um, but then you've also got the, the credibility when it comes to mm -hmm. later getting involved at, at higher levels. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. So you can like list that on your application yeah. or your CV of saying like, hey, I won this prize, that prize for like these things or whatever. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And being a bounty hunter, that's a great title. Oh, yeah. yeah. Effective altruist bounty hunter. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking it can also be something that people can do in EA groups. So like okay. I think right now there's basically just like you, you read and you discuss things. Yeah. Uh, maybe you do a fundraiser or something um, or like try and do community building, but this can be a whole other thing you can do. You can imagine like once a week or once a month or something, you do like a bounty hunting session mm. where you sit down and like as a group, you try and get some of the bounties. That would be awesome. I, I love that idea. That's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the last one that we're working on, but this is going to be like a bit further out um, just because a bunch of things is, um, this is kind of related. Um, the, the current working title for it is the idea market. Okay. And uh, the idea behind that is to, again, decentralize everything. Um, this is ideally to just replace everything that nonlinear kind of wants to do in terms of incubation, where um, it'll be a giant list of ideas that anybody can add to, and that anybody can like add criticisms or like, you know, upvotes or whatever to the ideas. But then the key thing is that it will automatically filter through a few uh, mechanisms. One is that potential funders can go through and say which ideas they'd be interested in funding if the right person started it. Um, and then we also have that with mentors, saying like, hey, I'd be willing to mentor this if the right person started it. Right. And then of course, I mean, we're you guys. There's gonna be a prediction market. Um, and so that you can have a prediction for what ideas you think will get funded or get started. I, we'll have to figure out exactly like the thing, but probably it'll be funding based. And so then you can go through, like say you're again, new to EA, you're yeah. like, what do I do? You can actually go and have this thing where you're like, oh, hey, like, and this gets past the unilateralist curse thing. Because okay. you can see, oh, hey, this idea has already been like approved by a bunch of really like, you know, informed high status people in the community. Right, okay, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, that's already gonna be baked into it before people even get, get involved at that level. Exactly, really nice. and then okay. we're gonna have like other things, we're gonna have ways to filter by like how long this would take, 
So like there'll be some things where it's like, oh hey, this just takes like a couple weeks, right. and so it'll like, be easy. There's other things where it's like, oh hey, you have to commit to like at least five years yeah. to have any chance of working, um, or like this needs technical skills, this doesn't need technical skills. This, you can be a newbie, you have to be an established person to do this, all that sort of stuff. So there's this thing called Nomad List. It's okay, a, yeah. a website where basically you can search for cities by like all these different features, and yeah. it's like the best spreadsheet essentially on the planet. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I kind of want that for. EA ideas. Perfect. Uh, because yeah. otherwise everyone would have to go do that on their own, then run yeah. those ideas by, you know, you'd have to go see, okay, what is important to me? What do I think? Do all that analysis and work up front, pick something, then pitch it. So it's like, it's just all, it's just way too redundant and inefficiently done. This, you're yeah. crowdsourcing that, exactly. collecting all that information. The way it's collected is inherently giving it all the characteristics you need to filter and search and sort. Exactly. Brilliant. I yeah. love that. Yeah, and so um, and so yeah, and hopefully that will just actually make it so we don't even need nonlinear. Again, yeah. I'm always trying to replace myself. I think like sometimes when people like yeah. discover counterfactuals, they're like, ah, oh, shit, like this just makes everything worse. And yeah. like, to be fair, counterfactuals do make everything worse. It kind of sucks. But one of the positive things about it is that it, um, uh, like, yeah, for me, like I just go around and I, I just try and re replace myself right from the get go. Yeah. I'm always trying to design things so they don't need me. And this is a way to make it so nonlinear is not even needed. We can just create this thing and then people can find the ideas, they yeah. can find the funding, they can find the mentorship, and... There you go. Yeah, and then I can go, well, I'm not gonna retire because... <laughs> but just... you can do something else. And that's, that's yeah. the thing, that's such a brilliant inversion because normally, especially in the for-profit uh, kind of sector, you've, you've got to have that whole vision of where it's gonna go and you've got to you pivot and you do everything to keep you know, the company intact, even if yeah. the vision and all of that is lost. And you have to be about getting the revenue eventually. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're doing stuff with, with nonprofit, you can totally have that inversion because you care about the outcome. You don't yeah. care about necessarily being the one to do it. Exactly. Um, and so that's that's brilliant. That yeah. that that having that mindset and then acting on that is, must be really kind of liberating in a way because it clears up the path and you know, you have a really good signal of when something is a good idea because it makes your thing that you needed to do in the past redundant, which mm -hmm. seems like a good progress signal. Exactly. Exactly. Which I love. That's great. Yeah. And it fits well with like, I, so I think some people really like they, if, if they switch too often and do different things, then it's really stressful for them. They really yeah. want to feel mastery. They want to like specialize in something. And then there's a whole bunch of people. And I think a lot of EAs fall into this category yeah. of they have a lot of interests and they lose interest quickly too. Mm. Um, and, setting up passive impact where you're trying to replace yourself actually works with that. It allows you to be a generalist and that's a good thing. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, hey, you're going to lose. Like um, one of my favorite things. So like one of my unofficial uh, like goals in life is to be like the Tim Ferriss of EA. Oh, very <laughs> that's a that's a yeah. pretty that's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, technically, Tim Ferriss is an EA, but he's like kind of not like he only did that one post once, and so like I don't okay. know. I'm taking this title until he comes and grabs it from me. So, right. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like he said, he had this quote that I really love. He said, "Interests wane, design accordingly." Beautiful. Yeah, and there so I have like yeah. I've just been like, okay, yeah, like I could try and like focus on something yeah. and really like focus on it for ten years straight, but like. It's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> I'll oh, suffer so much. This is a way that actually not only yeah. is it good, but it's actually like it's it, it could be better than the other thing because now I can set up a whole bunch of things, step back. Like yeah. I mean, charity entrepreneurship is still running without me. Same with charity science health. Um, a yeah. four-hour nonprofit. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of exciting stuff coming up. Yeah. Do you have any um, sort of like calls to action? Any places you want to direct people that might be interested in being involved, helping out? 
potentially funding, I don't know. We can always use more money. Like we can always turn it into more things. Like part of the reason we chose the non-layer support fund is I kind of want it to be the, the give directly of AI safety. Okay. Where it's like, hey, it's just like this thing where it's like, it could just accept almost indefinite amounts of money yeah. and it just can keep going. And Perfect. it's really robust. It's mm. like one of those things where you're like, this is very unlikely to go wrong. Um, compared to pretty much anything you can do in AI safety. Right. Um, this is just applying a multiplier to like it's an index fund of AI safety. So, <laughs> so if you think that AI safety is generally good, then this is like the thing to invest in that right. and just like yeah. cause good things. Um, and then also we just always are like I mean obviously there'll be things for more bounties, um, uh, incubating more things like the seed funding is a big big source of money, um, all sorts of stuff. So we can always accept more money. We can always figure out ways to turn that into impact. Great. Um, and, uh, and then in terms of pointing people towards things, I would definitely check out the nonlinear library. I think this is one of those things that we just need to like get more out there. It's just really great. Like I just listen to it in the morning when I wake up and I brush my teeth and everything. I just catch up on the Perfect. EA form. Yeah. And it's just great. Yeah. Without yeah. having to sacrifice your eyes and hands to, to the task. Yeah. Exactly. On a exactly. commute, all those things easy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then um, I mean, right now you can't really check it out, but soon uh, I mean we're posting I think on the Bounty Rationality Facebook group right now, but um, soon it'll be public as well of just doing the bounties. So if you have ideas, like reach out to us. We're looking for people to be the rebranders awesome. and to make yeah. those. So if you're the sort of person who wants to make them, that's fantastic. Great. Um, and then what else is there? Um, oh, we incubated a hiring agency. Okay. Um, an EA hiring agency. Um, cool. yeah. yeah. And so they're just getting started and they are, they've got like a bunch of experienced hiring people. And, uh, so if you're looking to hire anybody and you're like, oh, I don't know how to do this or like, you know, hiring's hard. So it's basically either if you don't know how to do it and you want help and just somebody to like help guide you and like do all the best practices. Yeah. Or if you're just like, Oh, Hey, I know how to hire, but I hate it. Uh, <laughs> just outsource it to, some, to someone exactly. else who's going to do a great job. Yeah, exactly. Cause like they can do, they can do everything from like, they can do the whole process for you if you want, they can just do parts of it. So if you don't want to do the first round interviews, they can just take all of their questions. You can just give them the interview questions and they'll just do it for you. Record right. it. You can, they'll just send you the best people. Um, and yeah. So if you're an introvert, which, uh, I have noticed some days <laughs> are <laughs> tends to be a pattern. Um, <laughs> yeah. You can just delegate. So, um, uh, just check them out. Um, uh, the way to find them. Um, so they're just going public right now. Um, they're at EAG San Francisco. So if you're okay. there, uh, obviously this won't be out in time, but, um, uh, they're, um, I mean, just reach out to nonlinear on like contact us form and then we'll forward you to them. Um, they're, they're about to publish their website, but I don't think it's ready yet. Okay. Um, so that's always a thing. Um, and, uh, yeah. And if you're working in long-termism and, uh, you need like you need therapy or you need coaching yeah. <laughs> or anything that could like help increase your productivity. Um, that's what the fund is for. Um, uh, and that should be public pretty soon. So it'll probably be up by the time this is up. So, Exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all, all of those things will then, I'll, I'll put those in the, in the show notes. So it's easy for people to find. Um, and I guess, uh, nonlinear has a blog. So if you announce anything after that, yes. that'll be the place to find it. Exactly. And the um, newsletter as well. Oh, there's a newsletter yeah. as well. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Which is, so it's the same things, but it gets into your mailbox yeah. and therefore or straight into your brain. <laughs> Yeah, and also, I mean, you can always follow me on uh, Twitter. It's like cat two underscores and then woods. Just to um, keep people on their toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. In the I can, I can definitely um, <laughs> second that being a great Twitter follow. Cat's oh. very, very interesting on Twitter and uh, a lot of, a lot of thought-provoking stuff. Yeah, and um, I also accept any, pretty much any Facebook requests of anybody who has more than twenty mutual friends. So, you know, you can definitely there add me there as well, yeah. and I post and longer things there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you yeah. for making the time to chat and for, yeah, literally a, a ton of food for thought. Um, yeah, it was really, really great getting to meet you in person and to yeah, just bounce some ideas around and hear what you, what you think and what you're working on.
Yeah, and thank so you for hosting me. And also for recording the replacing guilt thing. I've, I've shared that with a bunch of people and I didn't realize it was you until just today. Well, and I was like, wow, I'm, thank you. I'm glad that it's, yeah, that it's been useful. It, uh, it, I think it's a, a superb piece of work. So I was like, it, whatever way this can be known to more people. Um, so I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, thank awesome. you so much. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Kat's insights and infectious energy are truly exceptional. Now, as mentioned, links for everything we spoke about are in the show notes for this episode. You can also find them on the Bit of a Tangent website over at podtangent.com. Please do share this conversation with friends and family who might benefit from learning more about effective altruism and the initiatives Kat is working on. This podcast runs no ads and makes no revenue. We just do it to spread helpful and interesting ideas into the world so your signal boosts are invaluable in that cause. Make sure to follow Cat Woods on Twitter, and if you're prepared for the unfiltered stream of shape rotator consciousness, you might like to follow me as well. It's where I usually go to solicit input for future episodes, and where I give updates about releases. And stay tuned, there are so many exciting guests and new projects coming up. And with that, I bid you all the very best. Until next time.